Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Last week we looked at the end of Acts chapter 2 and we saw that folks who were filled with the Holy Spirit and followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, which we defined last week as something more than what we typically mean when we say fellowship, uh, that it is the breaking of bread prayer and sharing our things uh, with one another, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thought we really lived that out well. After we talked about Koinonia, we ate a meal together in this room, uh, and that was great. We kicked off our community groups and met in homes, which Acts 2 also talked about, and shared a meal together and prayed and talked about the sermon, the apostles' teaching, and spent time doing that. And I felt like we did a good job of, of not just being hearers of the word, but doers and actually putting into practice what we read about and learned about in Acts chapter 2. But I wanted to give more thought this week to that part about being devoted to the apostles' teaching. What would that look like for us? We, we sort of modeled the koinonia part last week. What would that look like? And so we're doing something a little different this week. Usually I have two or three points in a sermon, and I make that point and then show you where I found it in the text, and then we apply it to your life as kind of the usual rhythm. This week we're going to do something a little different. We're going to read the scripture together, and together we will pull the points out from the text. Okay? And the reason we're doing that is to equip you, not just when you come on Sunday, but every day to read God's Word and then to pull those truths out and apply them to your life. And so if you have one of the inserts in the bulletin, it just has the passages of Scripture listed there, Acts 3, verse 1, right? And so we'll look at that and we'll draw out truth together as we walk through God's Word because we want to learn what it looks like to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. So let me pray for us, and then let's just start walking through Acts chapter 3 and see what it has to teach us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Surely you have preserved it over two millennia because you intend for us to read it, to be devoted to it, to be shaped by it. And so I pray that you would be willing to do that now, that you would teach us to read your word and teach us to walk in your ways. I pray that we would be equipped during this time and that you would use your word uh, in order to do your work in our lives. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would use the words that you inspired through Luke to do your work in us. And we ask that you'd be willing to do that even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. You always remember the context that you're in, right? So if you've been with us, Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and then there'll be his witnesses. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. People are filled with the Spirit. Peter then preaches and explains what's going on, and then we ended last week with what it looked like after the Holy Spirit came. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, right? And then the Lord's adding to their numbers, and that brings us to Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear now God's word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon, now, let me stop right there. Maybe in your daily Bible reading, you read a whole chapter of Scripture a day, and if you do that, that's a great practice. I encourage that. 
I read about a chapter a day first thing every day myself, and I think it's good, and it can shape our thinking and, and shape our day. But I want to be careful that we don't just read a whole chapter if God is speaking to us in one verse, okay? So, so that's the first thing we're taking away. If God is working in our hearts with one verse, let's not just read the whole chapter so we can check the box off that we read the chapter. Let's let the one verse shape us. And if that's all we do today, great, right? So let's let this one verse speak into our lives. In the one verse, there's Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And if you've been with us in this book of Acts, and if you read it up to this point, you notice that these folks pray a lot. Prayer is a regular part of their lives. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, they were all joined together constantly in prayer. They're up there in the upper room. Later in Acts chapter 1, they're trying to choose the person who's going to take Judas's place as an apostle. And so they nominated some folks, just like we're doing now, right, with these officer nominations in the back. Not nominating apostles, but elders and deacons. But, but nominating people for leadership in the church nonetheless. And so in, in 1 verse 23, if you've got your Bible, it says they proposed two men, Joseph, also called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. The point is they were gathered together constantly in prayer. They're electing new leaders. They pray, right? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the break of bread, and to prayer. And then we find them here in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. They're going to the temple at the time of prayer because they pray together every day. A couple of sermons ago, remember we jumped ahead to Acts 6 because we were looking at when we were kicking off our officer nominations. And we saw the apostles there say, yes, these widows need to be fed. That is an important thing. But we don't want to neglect what? Prayer. And the ministry of the word. So somebody else needs to do that so we can concentrate on prayer. Prayer seems to be important. Right? As we look at God's word, when the Holy Spirit blows in and invades people's hearts, they seem to pray a lot. I wonder if that's characteristic of us. We have opportunities to pray here. You can turn in prayer requests, written down, put them in the offering plate, put them on the pew pads. That's good. I love that we're doing that. I hope that our community groups are praying with and for one another. I think they typically do. That's a good way to get together and to pray with and for one another. October 6th, we'll have our church-wide prayer night. We do that the first Sunday of every month, and we eat together and pray. And I love it, and I love that we're doing that. But, but I wonder, do you pray? Do you pray... This says constantly, later, Paul, right, pray without ceasing. I just want to ask, do you pray regularly? Do you pray regularly with people close to you? You know, as I looked at this and I thought about it, you know, this is not a guilt trip to get us to pray more. I'm just looking at this saying, hey, it looks like followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit pray a lot. And I think the reason for that is, is prayer is an acknowledgement that, that we can't and that God's got to come and to do this, right? That he's the one that has to work in and through us to get anything lasting done. And so our prayerlessness, if you are convicted by that, my prayer, our prayerlessness to me is an indication that we think we can do some things without God. 
that we can work in our own flesh, separate and apart from him. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. I'll show you my heart and see if this lines up with what happens to you at all. Sometimes I'm praying through my day. And I'll say, you know, Lord, I'm having breakfast with, you know, let's just pick somebody. Dave Morrow's on the front. I'm having breakfast with Dave Morrow. He's a good guy. That'll be easy. You know, I'm good. I've got that one, Lord. I'm good. You know, bless our time and our conversation. But, you know, that one will be okay. And then 9 o'clock, maybe I meet with Randall. That'll be fine. That'll be a good meeting. But, Lord, this meeting at 10. I really need you to show up at 10. Now, Now, what's that showing about my heart? It means I think I can handle breakfast and I can handle the 9 o'clock meeting, but I really need you to come at 10. Because I think I can do something at breakfast and I can handle 9 o'clock, but I need you at 10. Uh, no, how about I need thee every hour, right? See, that's an indication we think we can do something. And to the extent that we are prayerless, it's an indication that we think we can do things apart from God. Did you just tell your heart to beat? <laughs> Do you tell your lungs to move? No, because God's doing stuff, right? Without our thinking about it, without our being aware of it. You know, I think this is true in our lives. Sometimes we don't pray and we're not very close to God, and then something happens really out of our control. We get sick. We have a family member who is sick, maybe who's not doing well physically, and there's nothing we can do. And all of a sudden, We begin to pray a lot. And that's good. That's appropriate. We should. But what I'm saying is that exposes our heart too, doesn't it? When I realize things are out of my control, I pray. But I don't pray the other times because I think I got this. I think I can handle it. That's why I'm concerned about our prayerlessness because it's an indication of our not relying on God or being dependent on Him or looking to Him to do things in our midst. And so before we go any further, I I want us to pray this morning. We did a good job last week of applying what we did. I want to pray. Now, this is not the end of the sermon. I'm going to keep preaching, all right? But I'm going to ask Ansley Kiros if she'll come and pray just for kind of our prayerlessness and and, and that God would fan the flames of prayer because that's the way it happens, God coming and working, and it's not us getting more disciplined. So, Ansley, if you would come. And I want to ask Jeremy Terry. Jeremy, if you would come. They prayed here in verse 1 when they were nominating people to be leaders in the church, and we're doing that. And so I'd love for you to pray for that. And I'd love for you to pray for our leaders, that we wouldn't get distracted by important things, that things are really important, but that we would pray and minister the word to people. So if y'all would, let's pray. Amen. Thank y'all. Appreciate that. Don't go to sleep. This guy will call on you to pray during the sermon. Now, I, I cleared that with them yesterday. They knew I was going to ask them to do that, but still don't go to sleep, right? That was weird, just praying in the middle of the sermon. That was kind of strange. It's like they believe this stuff. Like they actually do this stuff. I'm, let's just talk about it. Let's not actually do it, right? No, let's, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's let the word shape us. That was good. Thank you all for helping us with that. Let's pick up in verse 2, Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. 
Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, let's stop right there. As we've read the book of Acts, we've seen this pattern. There's an event that happens, then somebody will preach and explain it, and then the Lord will add to their numbers, right? He uses the, the, the work that they do and the words that they say to draw people to himself. We saw it in Acts 2, right? Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. These guys are speaking in languages that they didn't otherwise know. That event happened. Peter preached. The Lord added to their number. Same pattern here, okay? This guy gets healed, Peter's going to preach, and then the Lord is going to add to their number. So that's a pattern we can look for in the church. God moves, there's an explanation, and then God adds to people's number. And this event is significant. You might be thinking, okay, what's the truth I take from that? I'm not going to heal a guy, right? I can't do that. Well, this event is significant because it is an indication that the Messiah has come. Where were these guys going? Do you remember? Where were they going? They're going into the temple, right? All these people in the temple are Jewish because it's a Jewish temple, right? And the Jewish scripture, which is the Old Testament, the prophets had foretold. Isaiah chapter 35 in particular said, hey, when God comes to the earth, the lame are going to leap for joy. We sang about it this morning in 04,000 tongues to sing, right? So Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, and all these people are good students of God's word. And so when there's this guy who they know has been lame his whole life is walking and jumping, as verse 8 says, then they're saying, oh my goodness, that is an indication that God has come. He is on the move in this place. His power is breaking into this broken world, and he is healing what is broken. That's what's going on here. That's what this miracle is pointing us to, that God has broken into this broken world with his power, and he's healing things. He's fixing things. He's restoring things to work they were, the way they were supposed to work from the beginning. And that gives us great hope that, yes, we can pray to God and sometimes he fixes things now, immediately. Praise the Lord when he does that. But we also have hope that the things that are broken around us, the things that don't work the way that we wish that they would, that even if God doesn't answer that prayer now, that a day is coming when he will make all things right. And so we have great hope as a people, even as we walk in great brokenness, even as we experience brokenness in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own marriages, with our own children, even as we experience brokenness in our bodies, in our community, in our nation, one of the reasons why we're able to walk into that brokenness is because we believe that our prayers change things and that God can heal things now, or a day is coming that he's going to come back and he's going to make it all right. 
And so we can persevere in that brokenness. We can persevere in the unknown of waiting. We can persevere in pain, calling out to God, knowing that he will make all things right. Maybe today, maybe at the end of all things, but it gives us great hope. It gives us great encouragement. That's what I see here in Acts 3, uh, verses 2 through 10. Let's keep going. Peter's going to start preaching. Now, remember an event happens, Peter preaches. Beginning in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Now, i got to stop right there. Just as an orator, that is a great phrase. You killed the author of life. Like, how is that even possible, right? Because he submitted to it, right? That's the only way that can happen. But I'm sorry, I just did. You killed the author of life, he says. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Watch, he's going to say something twice. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. Peter's preaching, and something good has happened. And Peter uses that as an opportunity to point people to God, right? Do you see that in the text? Do you see that's what's going on? Something good happens, and Peter's like, you need to praise God. You need to look to God. You need to be thankful to God for that, right? And and how long does it take him to get to Jesus, right? Not as long as it's taken you to get to him the last few weeks. You've been preaching, right? That's true. Like three sentences and he's to Jesus, right? When good things happen, do you see it as an opportunity to point people to Jesus? You know, when good things happen, we often like to think it's something that we did. You know, well, I have been working hard. You know, I did study a lot in school. And certainly God uses our efforts. But, but come on, if something good happens, there are a lot of variables we don't control. Do you give credit to God when good things happen? Do you point other people to him? We like to think we did something, and we really like other people to think that we did, that we did something good too, right? Oh, your kids are so great. Well, we worked really hard with them. Now, you can be a great parent and have kids really go astray. Here's good news for you, parents. You can really mess things up as a parent, and God can really call your child to himself and and have them walk in godliness. And that doesn't mean that we don't care, we don't try, but it means, hey, when something good happens, we give credit to God. That means that we, if anything good is going to happen, we look to him to make it happen, right? That our hope is in him, not in me being good enough or smart enough. Not me reading a book and figuring it out, although I may need to read some books to do better at what I'm doing, right? 
But, but I'm looking to God. I love what Nehemiah said. Remember when uh, the foreign kings are going to attack and they're trying to rebuild this wall? Do you remember what he said? So these armies are coming against me. He said, so we prayed to the Lord our God and we posted a guard. <laughs> we prayed to the Lord our God and we took up arms, right? His hope was in the Lord and then he did the things that God called them and led them to do. I love what Peter says here. Because these people are coming and beginning to look at them like, like they've done something. You see what he says in verse 12? Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if, by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. No, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Man, what if we began to say that? What if that was our phrase, as if, right? Wow, your kids are really, don't look at me as if, like by my power or goodness, they turned out like this. But that's God, right? I love your marriage and your relationship. (laughs) Well, listen. Don't look at me as if it's my power or godliness that made it happen. That's the Lord's graciousness, right? That's why that's happening the way it is. You've been so successful in business. I just want to learn from you, right? Don't look at me like it's my power or godliness as if I'm the one that did this. What if we begin to say as if to one another? What if we begin to remind each other that sometimes we act as if This is us when it's not. A verse that's really helped me with this a lot is Galatians 2 and verse 20. Paul is talking about his walk in the Christian life. And whenever I begin to think I did something, that I was pretty clever, that I've been pretty smart, that I've played my cards the right way, it's good for us to ask the question, who is this I that you speak of doing this, right? Because Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that's where Peter goes in verse 16? Remember I said he was going to say something twice? It's by faith in Jesus' name, in who he is, and in his works that he's accomplished. That's the way things of eternal value happen, right? That we walk in that. Faith in Jesus, all he is and all he has done. Do you give credit to God for good things? Do you walk by faith? Can you point to good things that you see God has done in your life? If you can't, Maybe your life has just been horrible, but maybe you are taking credit for some of the good things that have happened when, when, when God has been at work. Lord, forgive us that we would take credit for your work. So what do we do? If I've been doing that, if that's something that's been going on in my life, what do I do? Peter tells them, look at verses 17 and 19. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God. Let me stop right there. Peter's saying, look, I know you've been going your own way. You've been pursuing your own plans. You've been doing your own thing separate from God. You were doing what you thought was right. (laughs) But you've been going in the wrong direction, right? Repent, turn from going that way and turn to God. That's what the answer is. 
that I've been thinking I was enough, that I was good enough, that I only pray when I realize something's out of my control. I'm starting to hear everything's out of my control. I need to be dependent on God on everything. So I don't need to rely on myself so much. I need to turn and say, Lord, I need you to come and work. I need to die to self, and I need Christ to come and live with me, and I need to walk by faith that he's at work in and through me. It's the pattern of the Christian life. And if you look here, repentance, that's not a fun word. When we, hear, we don't really use the word repent anywhere other than in church, right? Crazy people on sandwich boards have, you know, repent for the end of the world is near, right? We just don't use the word repent anywhere else. It just means to turn from trusting in one thing to trusting in something else. We really repent all the time. Recently, the Comcast people came to our door and said, hey, listen, you were with us for eight years, and then you left two years ago. Are you ready to come back to Comcast? And I'm like, yes, because my AT&T is like out half the time. It's really slow, and it cuts out all the time. Yes, I am. That's repentance. (laughs) I'm going in one direction, and I just turn and go in another. That's all it is. We repent all the time in life, right? We can do this. I want you to see the blessings that repentance... Uh-oh, I'm slipping out of giving you the points and telling you where it is in the text. See, I can't help it. I'm a preacher. I just want to go there, right? Let's do it like this. Let me think. Okay. Okay. There are blessings that I'm already telling you, right? There are blessings that come from repentance. Let's see what they are. Okay? Let's do that. He says two of them here, at least two in verse 19. You see what he says? Repent then... And turn to God, so you see that turning to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Let's stop right there. At least two blessings that come with repentance. Number one, so that your sins would be wiped out. The mistakes that you made, the things that you've done wrong, the poor choices, the ways that that you have messed up, that can be wiped clean. It can be wiped away. It can be wiped out. When I talk to people about this, the, the most common thing they say to me is, well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, unless you tell me. And most people only tell the preacher about 10% of bad stuff they do, right? And that's okay. I don't need to know, right? It's between you and God, and he knows all of it, right? But your sins can be wiped out. Listen, you may have done some bad stuff. Do you see what these people did? Verse 13, you killed Jesus, You handed him over to be killed. Pilate was going to let him go, and you said, No, I'd rather have Barabbas the murderer released so that the Son of God can be crucified. They've done some bad stuff. Really bad. I don't know what you've done, but I mean, it can't be as bad as killing Jesus, right? And to those people who had pushed for, sponsored, longed for the death of the Christ, he said, Your sins can be wiped out. I love the image that's here. Because see, people used to write on papyrus, right? And they would just write right on the top. And if they made a mistake, it didn't really dig in. It was just ink on the top. And before it dried, they would keep a wet sponge there. And they would just wipe it away. And they could write again. Most folks couldn't write. And so they went to scribes. And they saw them do this all the time. They changed their mind. And the scribe would take the wet sponge and just wipe away what had been written. And it was gone. And they could write something else. That's what most of these folks were thinking when he says your sins can be wiped away, just wiped clean. For us, we might, you might think of a dry erase board. There's stuff up there that's just wiped clean. It's just gone. Wow. 
That's a benefit of repentance, yes. Because Jesus, the suffering servant, has died for, paid for, the penalty for your sin. And so when we confess that and we repent that to God, it's wiped out. It's wiped away. We can turn and we receive that from God, the wiping away of our sin. That's a benefit of our repentance. That we can experience that knowing that it's there, knowing that in his love and his grace and his mercy that he wipes that away. Peter had personally experienced this. This is like two months after Peter's denied Christ, right? Peter was the leader doing things in his own strength. All these other guys might run away, Jesus, but I'm going to be with you today and I will die for you. And he says, Peter, you'll deny me three times tonight. (laughs) And Peter's like, no, 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 not me. I'll go with you to my death. And then Peter denies him to a little girl like three times. That night. This is like eight weeks later, right? This is not that long in time. It's a couple of months. (laughs) And Peter's preaching the gospel because Jesus has restored him. Because he's experienced that repentance of being broken over his sin, coming to the end of himself, saying, Lord, when I depend on my strength, I can't. But in you, I can. And now God is using him, working in him and through him. There's something else that happens. You see it? You see it there in verse 19? So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This word refreshing, it can mean rest or relief or respite. Refreshment, it sounds good, right? We're tired, we're beat up, we're burned out. Who wants times of refreshment from the Lord? Me, I do. Who wants to repent? Not as many hands go up, right? Who wants refreshment? Me, who wants to repent? Mm, I'm not sure about that. Listen, times of refreshing come by turning from other things and turning to God. Right? That, that, that's how it works. We seem to just want to keep on doing things the same way and keep on burning out. And then we run to God when we're burning out and just ask him to let us keep going our own way and our own strength without burning out. Lord, can, can I just keep running without burning out? Will you fix these things so I can keep going? And then we're shocked when he says, no, <laughs> I won't. If you're tired, you need refreshment. Maybe there's something you need to repent of. Maybe you're doing really good things, but in your own strength. Maybe you're not relying on him. Maybe you've taken on more than he's asked you to take on. Times of refreshment come through repentance. Let's look at the end of chapter 3. We got up to verse 20 there. Times of refreshing from the Lord, and that he may send you the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. We talked about that a minute ago, about how he'll make all things right. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made through your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Oh, my God.